Thanks for stopping by. My name is Yaanis and I appreciate your time here, so I really hope I've helped you learn a thing or two here. This is not my real voice though. I am using the artificial intelligence because I'm too shy to speak for myself. Hope that is not a biggie. Enjoy. Ciao. The Power of Intention. Learning to co-create your world your way. Part 1. The Essentials of Intention. Chapter 1. Viewing Intention from a New Perspective. During the past several years, I've been so strongly attracted to studying intention that I've read hundreds of books by psychological, sociological, and spiritual writers, ancient and modern scholars, and academic researchers. My research reveals a fairly common definition of intention as a strong purpose or aim, accompanied by a determination to produce a desired result. People driven by intention are described as having a strong will that won't permit anything to interfere with achieving their inner desire. I imagine a sort of pit bull kind of resolve or determination. If you're one of those people with a never-give-up attitude combined with an internal picture that propels you toward fulfilling your dreams, you fit this description of someone with intention. You are, most likely, a super achiever and probably proud of your ability to recognize and take advantage of opportunities that arise. For many years, I've held a similar belief about intention. In fact, I've written and spoken often about the power of intention being just what I've described above. Over the past quarter of a century, however, I've felt a shift in my thinking from a purely psychological or personal growth emphasis toward a spiritual orientation where healing, creating miracles, manifesting, and making a connection to divine intelligence are genuine possibilities. This hasn't been a deliberate attempt to disengage from my academic and professional background, but rather a natural evolution that's been unfolding as I began to make more conscious contact with spirit. My writing now emphasizes my belief that we can find spiritual solutions to problems by living at higher levels and calling upon faster energies. In my mind, intention is now something much greater than a determined ego or individual will. It's something almost totally opposite. Perhaps this comes from shedding many levels of ego in my own life, but I also feel the strong influence of two sentences I read in a book by Carlos Castaneda. In my writing life, I've often come across something in a book that starts a thought germinating in me that ultimately compels me to write a new book. At any rate, I read these two sentences in Castaneda's final book, The Active Side of Infinity, while I was waiting to have a cardiac procedure to open one clogged artery leading into my heart that had caused a mild heart attack. Castaneda's words were, quote, Intent is a force that exists in the universe. When sorcerers, that is, those who live of the source, beckon intent, it comes to them and sets up a path for attainment, which means that sorcerers always accomplish what they set out to do, unquote. When I read those two sentences, I was stunned by the insight and clarity it gave me about the power of intention. Imagine that intention is not something you do, but rather a force that exists in the universe as an invisible field of energy. I had never even considered intention in this way before reading Castaneda's words. I wrote those two sentences down, and then I had them printed on a card and laminated. I carried the laminated card with me into the catheter lab for my minor surgical procedure, and as soon as I could, I began talking about the power of intention to anyone who would listen. 
I made intention a part of every speech I gave. I immersed myself in this idea to use it, not only for my own healing, but to help others use the power of intention to carry them where they're fully equipped to go. I had experienced what is called satorai, or instant awakening, and was intent on offering this insight to others. It had become clear to me that accessing the power of intention relieved so much of the seemingly impossible work of striving to fulfill desires by sheer force of will. Since that defining moment, I've thought of the power of intention in virtually all of my waking hours, in books, articles, conversations, telephone calls, items arriving in my mailbox, and arbitrary works I might be looking at in a bookstore, all seem to conspire to keep me on this path. So here it is, The Power of Intention. I hope this book will help you view intention in a new way and also to make use of it in a manner that leads you to define yourself, as Patanjali suggested more than 20 centuries ago, dormant forces, faculties, and talents come alive, and you discover yourself to be a greater person by far than you ever dreamed yourself to be. Patanjali's two words, dormant forces, kick-started me in the direction of writing about intention. Patanjali was referring to forces that appear to be either non-existent or dead, and he was referring to the powerful energy a person feels when inspired. If you've ever felt inspired by a purpose or calling, you know the feeling of spirit working through you. Inspired is our word for inspirited. I've thought long and hard about the idea of being able to access seemingly dormant forces to assist me at key times in my life to achieve an inner burning desire. What are these forces? Where are they located? Who gets to use them? Who's denied access? And why? Questions like these have propelled me to research and write this book and subsequently arrive at a totally new perspective on intention. At this point, as I'm writing about my excitement of realizing a long, obscured truth, I know that intention is a force that we all have within us. Intention is a field of energy that flows invisibly beyond the reach of our normal, everyday, habitual patterns. It's there even before our actual conception. We have the means to attract this energy to us and experience life in an exciting new way. The Meaning of Omnipresent Intention Try imagining a force that's everywhere. There's no place that you can go where it isn't. It can't be divided and is present in everything you see or touch. Now extend your awareness of this infinite field of energy beyond the world of form and boundaries. This infinite and visible force is everywhere, so it's in both the physical and the non-physical. Your physical body is one part of your totality emanating from this energy. At the instant of conception, intention sets in motion how your physical form will appear and how your growing and aging process will unfold. It also sets in motion your non-physical aspects, including your emotions, thoughts, and disposition. In this instance, intention is infinite potential, activating your physical and non-physical appearance on Earth. You formed out of this omnipresent to become present in time and space. Because it's omnipresent, this energy field of intent is accessible to you after your physical arrival here on Earth. The only way you deactivate this dormant force is by believing that you're separate from it. Activating intention means rejoining your source and becoming a modern-day sorcerer. Being a sorcerer means attaining the level of awareness where previously inconceivable things are available. As Carlos Castaneda explained, the task of sorcerers was to face infinity or intention, and they plunged into it daily as a fisherman plunges into the sea. 
Intention is a power that's present everywhere as a field of energy. It isn't limited to physical development. It's the source of non-physical development as well. This field of intention is here, now, and available to you. When you activate it, you begin to feel purpose in your life, and you'll be guided by your infinite self. As you make your metaphorical bow to this power, recognize that you're bowing to yourself. The all-pervading energy of intention pulses through you toward your potential for a purposeful life. How you came to experience yourself as disconnected from intention. If there's an omnipresent power of intention that's not only within me, but in everything and everyone, then we're connected by this all-pervading source to everything and everyone, and to what we'd like to be and what we'd like to have and what we want to achieve and to everything in the universe that will assist us. All that's required is realigning ourselves and activating intention. But how did we get disconnected in the first place? How did we lose our natural ability to connect? Lions, fish, and birds, they don't get disconnected. The animal, vegetable, and mineral worlds are always connected to their source. They don't question their intention. We humans, however, with our capability for presumably higher brain functions, have something we refer to as ego, which is an idea that we construct about who and what we are. Ego is made of six primary ingredients that account for how we experience ourselves as disconnected. By allowing ego to determine your life path, you deactivate the power of intention. Briefly, here are the six ego beliefs. I've written more extensively about them in several of my previous books, most notably Your Sacred Self. 1. I am what I have. That is, my possessions define me. 2. I am what I do. That is, my achievements define me. 3. I am what others think of me. That is, my reputation defines me. 4. I am separate from everyone. That is, my body defines me as alone. 5. I am separate from all that is missing in my life. That is, my life space is disconnected from my desires. 6. I am separate from God. My life depends on God's assessment of my worthiness. No matter how hard you try, intention can't be accessed through the ego. So take some time to recognize and readjust any or all of those six beliefs. When the supremacy of ego is weakened in your life, you can seek intention and maximize your potential. There are four steps to intention. Activating your power of intention is a process of connecting with your natural self and letting go of total ego identification. The process takes place in the following four stages. 1. Discipline. This is the first stage. Learning a new task requires training your body to perform as your thoughts desire. So, eliminating ego identification doesn't mean disconnecting from your relationship with your body, but rather training your body to activate those desires. You do that with practice, exercise, non-toxic habits, healthy foods, and so on. 2. Wisdom is the second stage. Wisdom, combined with discipline, fosters your ability to focus and be patient as you harmonize your thoughts, your intellect, and your feelings with the work of your body. We send our children off to school telling them, be disciplined and use your head. And then we call this an education, but it falls far short of mastery. Three. The third stage is love. After disciplining the body with wisdom and intellectually studying a task, this process of mastery involves loving what you do and doing what you love. In the world of sales, I call it falling in love with what you're offering and then selling your love or enthusiasm to potential customers. 
When learning to play tennis, it involves practicing all of the strokes while studying strategies for playing the game. It also involves enjoying the feeling of hitting the ball and being on the tennis court and everything else about the game. And the final stage, four, surrender. This is the place of intention. This is where your body and your mind aren't running the show. And you move into intent. You relax. You allow yourself to be carried by the same power that turns acorns into trees, blossoms into apples, and microscopic dots into human beings. When you surrender, you lighten up and can consult with your infinite soul. Then the power of intention becomes available to take you wherever you feel destined to go. All of this talk of intention and surrender may cause you to question where your free will fits in. You might be inclined to conclude that free will is non-existent or that you become whatever your program dictates. So let's just take a look at your will and how it fits into this new view of intention. As you listen to the next two sections, please keep an open mind, even if what you hear conflicts with what you've believed all of your life. Intention and your free will are paradoxical. A paradox is seemingly absurd or a contradictory statement, even if well-founded. Intention and free will certainly qualify as being paradoxical. They conflict with many a preconceived notion of what's reasonable or possible. How can you possess free will and also have intention shaping your body and your potential? You confuse this dichotomy by choosing to believe in the infinity of intention and in your capacity to exercise free will. You know how to think rationally about the rules of cause and effect, so try your intellect out on this. Obviously, it's impossible to have two infinites, for then neither would be infinite. Each would be limited by the other. You can't divide infinite into parts. Essentially, infinite is unity, continuity, or oneness, like the air in your home. Where does the air in your kitchen stop and the air in your living room begin? Where does the air inside your home stop and the air outside start? How about the air you breathe in and out? Air may be the closest we can come to understanding the infinite, universal, omnipresent spirit. Somehow you must travel in thought beyond the idea of your individual existence to the idea of a unity of universal being, and then beyond this to the idea of a universal energy. When you think of part of a whole being in one place and part in another, you've lost the idea of unity. And, keeping an open mind, as I beseeched you to do earlier, get this. At any moment in time, all spirit is concentrated at the point where you focus your own attention. Therefore, you can consolidate all creative energy at a given moment in time. This is called your free will at work. Your mind and your thoughts are also thoughts of the divine mind. Universal spirit is in your thoughts and in your free will. When you shift your thoughts from spirit to ego, you seem to lose contact with the power of intention. Your free will can either move with universal spirit and its unfolding or away from it toward ego dominance. As it moves away from spirit, life appears to be a struggle. Slower energies flow through you, and you may feel hopeless and helpless and lost. You can use your free will to rejoin higher, faster energies. The truth is that we do not create anything alone. We are all creatures with God. Our free will combines and redistributes what's already created, you choose. Free will means that you have the choice to connect to spirit or not. So the answer to the question, do I have a free will, and is intention working with me as an all-pervasive universal force, is yes. Can you live with this paradox? If you think about it, 
You live with a paradox in every moment of your existence. At the same exact instant that you're a body with beginnings and ends, with boundaries and a definition in time and space, you're also simultaneously an invisible, formless, unlimited thinking and feeling being, a ghost in the machine, if you will. Which are you? Matter or essence? Physical or metaphysical? Form or spirit? The answer is both, even though they appear to be opposites. Do you have a free will? And are you a part of the destiny of intention? The answer is yes. Fuse this dichotomy, blend the opposites, and live with both of these beliefs. Begin the process of allowing spirit to work with you and link up to the field of intention. Combining free will with intention. In mathematics, two angles that are said to coincide fit together perfectly. The word coincidence does not describe luck or mistakes. It describes that which fits together perfectly. By combining free will with intention, you harmonize with universal mind. Rather than operating in your own mind outside of this force called intention, your goal may very well be, as you listen to this program, to work at being in harmony at all times with intention. When life appears to be working against you, when your luck is down, when the supposedly wrong people show up, or when you slip up and return to old, self-defeating habits, recognize the signs that you're out of harmony with intention. You can and will reconnect in a way that will bring you into alignment with your own purpose. For example, when I write, I open myself to the possibilities of universal spirit and my own individual thoughts, collaborating with fate to produce a helpful, insightful program. Here's an example of how intention collaborates with life circumstances to produce what we need. Recently, my 19-year-old daughter, Summer, told me that she'd quit her temporary job as a restaurant hostess and wasn't sure what she wanted to do before resuming her college studies. I asked her what made her feel most purposeful and happy, and she said it was teaching horseback riding to young children, but she refused to return to the old barn where she'd worked a year before because she really felt unappreciated, overworked, and underpaid. I was over on Maui writing the very first chapter on a whole new perspective on intention when we had this telephone conversation. I launched into my intention as a force in the universe spiel and told my daughter that she needed to realign her thoughts and so on. Open up to receiving the assistance you desire, I told her. Trust in intention. It exists for you. Stay alert and be willing to accept any guidance that comes your way. Stay in vibrational harmony with the all-providing source. The next day, at the very moment I was searching for an example of intention to put into this chapter, the telephone rang, and here it was, Summer, bubbling with enthusiasm. You're not going to believe this, Dad, she says. On second thought, I'm sure you will believe it. Remember yesterday how you told me to be open to intention? Well, I was skeptical, even thinking, that's just my weird dad, but I decided to try it. Then I saw a sign on a telephone pole that said, Horseback Riding Lessons, and there was a telephone number. I wrote the number down, and I just called it. And the woman who answered told me that she needed to hire someone she could trust to do trail rides with young kids. She pays exactly double what I was making at the restaurant. I'm going out to see her tomorrow. Isn't that cool? Cool? Hell yes, it's cool. Here I am writing a book, looking for a good example, and it arrives in the form of help I was attempting to offer the day before to my daughter. Two for the price of one, if you will. I'll close this section with words from Aldous Huxley, one of my favorite authors. The spiritual journey does not consist in arriving at a new destination where a person gains what he did not have or becomes what he is not. It consists in the dissipation of one's own ignorance concerning one's self and life 
and the gradual growth of that understanding which begins the spiritual awakening, the finding of God is a coming to oneself. In this first chapter, I've asked you to stop doubting the existence of a universal omnipresent force I've called intention and told you that you can link to and be carried to your destination on the energy of intention alone. In the next part, I describe how this field of intention might look were you able to see it and what the faces of intention might look like. Chapter 2, The Seven Faces of Intention Moving from thinking about intention to knowing intention. Not too long ago, while writing this book here on Maui, I experienced a knowing that I'll attempt to explain to you. A woman from Japan was pulled from the surf, her body bloated from an excessive intake of seawater. I knelt over her with others, attempting to get her heartbeat going with CPR, while many of her friends from Japan cried out in anguish as the futile attempts at resuscitation proceeded. Suddenly I felt a quiet awareness of this woman's spirit hovering above our life-saving attempts. As I watched the rescue scene on the beach, I felt the presence of blissfully peaceful energy, and in some unfathomable way I knew that she wasn't going to be revived and that she was no longer connected to the body that so many well-meaning people, including myself, were trying to bring back to life. This quiet knowing led me to stand up, put my hands together, and say a silent prayer for her. We were from different parts of this world and didn't even share a common language, yet I felt connected to her. I felt peaceful with a knowing that her spirit and mine were somehow connected in the mystery of the transient, ephemeral nature of our physical lives. As I walked away, the pain of death wasn't dominating my thought. Instead, I knew and felt that the departure of this woman's spirit from what was now a lifeless, bloated body was inexplicably all a part of the perfect divine order. I couldn't prove it. I had no scientific evidence. I didn't think it. I knew it. This is an example of what I mean by silent knowledge. I still feel her presence as I record this 24 hours later. In The Power of Silence, Carlos Castaneda describes silent knowledge as something that all of us have, something that has complete mastery, complete knowledge of everything. But it cannot think, therefore it cannot speak of what it knows. Man has given up silent knowledge for the world of reason. The more he clings to the world of reason, the more ephemeral intent becomes." Unquote. Silent knowledge starts when you invite the power of intention to play an active part in your life. This is a private and very personal choice that needn't be explained or defended. When you make this inner choice, silent knowledge will gradually become a part of your normal everyday awareness. Opening to the power of intention, you begin knowing that conception, birth, and death are all natural aspects of the energy field of creation. Clinging to attempts to think or reason your way to intention is futile. By banishing doubt and trusting your intuitive feelings, you clear a space for the power of intention to flow through. This may sound like hocus-pocus, but I prefer to think of it as emptying my mind and entering the heart of mystery. Here, I set aside rational thoughts and open to the magic and excitement of an illuminating new awareness. A great teacher in my life named Jay Krishnamurti once observed, quote, To be empty, completely empty, is not a fearsome thing. It is absolutely essential for the mind to be unoccupied, to be empty, unenforced, for then only can it move into unknown depths, unquote. Now I'll describe what I think our view might be if we could be outside of ourselves floating above our body, like the spirit of the Japanese lady on the beach the other day. From this perspective, I imagine myself looking at the faces of intention 
through eyes that are capable of seeing higher vibrations. And here are the seven faces of intention. The first face, the face of creativity. The first of the seven faces of intention is the creative expression of the power of intention that designed us, got us here, and created an environment that's compatible with our needs. The power of intention has to be creative or nothing would come into existence. It seems to me that this is an irrefutable truth about intention and spirit because its purpose is to bring life into existence in a suitable environment. Why do I conclude that the life-giving power of intention intends us here to have life and have it in increasing abundance? Because if the opposite were true, life as we know it couldn't come into form. The very fact that we can breathe and experience life is proof to me that the nature of the life-giving spirit is creative at its very core. This may seem obvious to you, or in fact it may appear confusing or even irrelevant, but what is clear is this. You are here in your physical body. There was a time when you were an embryo, before that a seed, and before that, formless energy. That formless energy contained intention, which brought you from nowhere to now here. At the very highest levels of awareness, intention started you on a path towards your destiny. The face of creativity intends you toward continued creativity to create and co-create anything that you direct your power of intention toward. Creative energy is a part of you. It originates in the life-giving spirit that intended you here in the first place. 2. The Face of Kindness Any power that has as its inherent nature the need to create and convert energy into physical form must also be a kindly power. Again, I'm deducing this from the opposite. If the all-giving power of intention had at its core the desire to be unkind, malevolent, or hurtful, then creation itself would be impossible. The moment unkind energy became form, the life-giving spirit would be destroyed. But instead, the power of intention has a face of kindness. It is kind energy intending what it's creating to flourish and to grow, and to be happy and to be fulfilled. Our existence is proof to me of the kindness of intention. Choosing to be kind is a choice to have the power of intention active in your life. The positive effect of kindness on the immune system and on the increased production of serotonin in the brain has been proved in research studies. Serotonin is a naturally occurring substance in the body that makes us feel more comfortable, more peaceful, and even blissful. In fact, the role of most antidepressants is to stimulate the production of serotonin chemically, helping to ease depression. Research has shown that a simple act of kindness directed toward another human being improves the functioning of the immune system and stimulates the production of serotonin in both the recipient of the kindness and the person extending the kindness. Even more amazing is that persons observing the act of kindness have similar beneficial results. Imagine this. Kindness extended, received, or observed beneficially impacts the physical health and feelings of everyone involved. Both the face of kindness and the face of creativity are smiling here. 3. The face of love. The third of the seven faces of intention is the face of love. That there's a life-giving nature inherent in the power of intention is an irrefutable conclusion. What would we name this quality that encourages, enhances, and supports all of life, if not love? It's the prime moving power of the universal spirit of intent. As Ralph Waldo Emerson put it, love is our highest word and the synonym for God. 
The energy field of intention is pure love resulting in a nurturing and totally cooperative environment. Judgment, anger, hate, fear, or prejudice won't thrive here. So were we able to actually see this field, we'd see creativity and kindness in an endless field of love. We entered the physical world of boundaries and beginnings through the universal force field of pure love. This face of intention that is an expression of love wishes only for us to flourish and grow and become all that we're capable of becoming. When we're not in harmony with the energy of love, we've moved away from intention and weakened our ability to activate intention through the expression of love. For example, if you aren't doing what you love and loving what you do, your power of intention is weakened. You attract into your life more of the dissatisfaction that isn't the face of love. Consequently, more of what you don't love will appear in your life. St. Francis, in his famous prayer, beseeches God, Where there is hatred, let me sow love. What he is seeking is the power to dissolve and ultimately convert hate to the energy of love. Hate converts to love when the energy of love is in its presence. This is true for you, too. Hate, directed toward yourself or others, can be converted to the life-giving, love-granting, life-force of intention. Pierre Teilhard of Chardin put it this way, Quote, the conclusion is always the same. Love is the most powerful and still the most unknown energy of the world. Unquote. The fourth face of intention, the face of beauty. The fourth of my seven faces of intention is the face of beauty. What else could a creative, kind, and loving expression be other than beautiful? Why would the organizing intelligence of intention ever elect to manifest into form anything that's repugnant to itself? Obviously it wouldn't. So we can conclude that the nature of intention has an eternal interaction of love and beauty and add the expression of beauty to the face of a creative, kind, loving power of intention. In order to grasp the significance of beauty as one of the faces of intention, remember this. Beautiful thoughts build a beautiful soul. As you become receptive to seeing and feeling beauty around you, you're becoming attuned to the creative power of intention within everything in the natural world, including yourself. By choosing to see beauty in everything, even a person who was born into poverty and ignorance will be able to experience the power of intention. Seeking beauty in the worst of circumstances with individual intent connects one to the power of intention. It works. It has to work. The face of beauty is always present, even where others see non-beauty. I always loved the way Mother Teresa described this quality when she was asked, What do you do every day in the streets of Calcutta at your mission? She responded, Every day I see Jesus Christ in all of his distressing disguises. Five, the fifth face of intention is called expansion. The elemental nature of life is to increase and seek more and more expression. If we could sharply focus on the faces of intention, we'd be startled. I imagine that one of the faces we'd see is a continuously expanding expression of the power of intention. The nature of this creative spirit is always operating so as to expand. Spirit is a forming power. It has the principle of increase, meaning that life continues to expand toward more life. Life as we know it originates from formless intention. Therefore, one of the faces of intention looks like something that's eternally evolving. It might look like a tiny speck in a continuous state of duplicating itself and then enlarging itself and then moving forward, all the while continuing its expansion and its expression. This is precisely what's happening in our physical world. This fifth face of intention takes the form of what is expressing it. 
It can be no other way, for if this ever-expanding force disliked itself or felt unconnected, it could only destroy itself. But it doesn't work that way. The power of intention manifests as an expression of expanding creativity, kindness, love, and beauty. By establishing your personal relationship to this face of intention, you expand your life through the power of intention, which was, is, and always will be a component of this originating intention. The power of intention is the power to expand and increase all aspects of your life. No exceptions. It's the nature of intention to be in a state of increased expression, so it's true for you as well. 6. The sixth face of intention is called unlimited abundance. This sixth face of intention is an expression of something that has no boundaries. It's everywhere at once and is endlessly abundant. It's not just huge. It never stops. This marvelous gift of abundance is what you were created from. Thus, you too share this in the expression of your life. You're actually fulfilling the law of abundance. These gifts are given freely and fully to you, just as the air, the sun, the water, and the atmosphere are provided in unlimited abundance for you. From the time of your earliest memories, you probably were taught to think in terms of limitations. My property starts here, yours over there. So we build fences to mark our boundaries. But ancient explorers gave us an awareness of the world as potentially endless. Even more ancient astronomers pushed back our beliefs about an immense dome-shaped ceiling covering the Earth. We've learned about galaxies that are measured in the distance light travels in a year. Science books that are only two years old are outdated. Athletic records that supposedly demonstrated the limits of our physical prowess are shattered with amazing regularity. What all this means is that there are no limits to our potential as people, as collective entities, and as individuals. The face of abundance has absolutely no limits. Imagine the vastness of the resources from which all objects are created. Then consider the one resource that stands above all others. This would be your mind and the collective mind of humankind. Where does your mind begin and end? What are its boundaries? Where is it located? More important, where is it not located? Is it born with you? Or is it present before your conception? Does it die with you? What color is it? What shape? The answers are in the phrase unlimited abundance. You were created from this very same unlimited abundance. The power of intention is everywhere. It is what allows everything to manifest, to increase, and to supply infinitely. Know that you're connected to this life force and that you share it with everyone and all that you perceive to be missing. Open to the expression of the face of unlimited abundance and you'll be co-creating your life as you'd like it to be. The seventh and final face of intention is called receptivity. This is how I imagine the seventh face, the receptive face of intention. It's simply receptive to all. No one and no thing is rejected by the receptive face of intention. It welcomes everyone and every living thing without judgment, never granting the power of intention to some and then withholding it from others. The receptive face of intention means to me that all of nature is waiting to be called into action. We only need to be willing to recognize and receive. Intention can't respond to you if you fail to recognize it. If you see chance and coincidence governing your life and the world, then the universal mind of intention will appear to you as nothing but an amalgamation of forces devoid of any order or power. Simply put, to be receptive is to deny yourself access to the power of intention. 
In order to utilize the all-inclusive receptivity of intention, you must produce within yourself an intelligence equal in affinity to the universal mind itself. You must not only become receptive to having guidance available to you to manifest your human intentions, but you must be receptive to giving this energy back to the world. As I've said many times in speeches and earlier writings, your job is not to say how, it is to say yes. Yes, I'm willing. Yes, I know that the power of intention is universal. It is denied to no one. The face of receptivity smiles on me as what I need flows to me from the source, and the source is receptive to my tapping into it to co-create books and speeches and videos and audios and anything else that I've been fortunate enough to have on my resume. By being receptive, I'm in harmony with the power of intention of the universal creative force. This works in so many different ways. You'll see the right people magically appearing in your life, your body healing. And if it's something that you want, even becoming a better dancer or a card player or an athlete, the field of intention allows everything to emanate into form, and its unlimited potential is built into all that has manifested even before its initial birth pangs were being expressed. In this chapter, you've become familiar with my concept of the seven faces of intention. They're creative, kind, loving, beautiful, ever-expanding, endlessly abundant, and receptive to all. And you can connect to this alluring field of intention. In the following chapter, I offer what may seem to you to be unusual methods for polishing the connecting link between you and this enthralling energy field we're calling intention. Chapter 3, Connecting to Intention. Listen to this observation by the great mental science practitioner of the early 20th century. His name was Thomas Troward. Quote, The law of flotation was not discovered by contemplating the sinking of things, but by contemplating the floating of things which floated naturally and then intelligently asking why they did so. Unquote. In the early days of shipbuilding, ships were made of wood, and the reasoning was that wood floats in water and iron sinks. Yet today, ships all over the world are built of iron. As people began studying the law of flotation, it was discovered that anything could float if it's lighter than the mass of liquid it displaces. So today, we're able to make iron float by the very same law that made it sink. Keep this example in mind as you listen and apply the contents of this chapter on connecting to all that you're intended to become. The key word here is contemplating, or what you're placing your thoughts on as you begin utilizing the enormous potential and the power of intention. You must be able to connect to intention, and you can't access and work with intention if you're contemplating the impossibility of being able to intend and manifest. You can't discover the law of co-creation if you're contemplating what's missing. You can't discover the power of awakening if you're contemplating things that are still asleep. The secret to manifesting anything that you desire is your willingness and your ability to realign yourself so that your inner world is in harmony with the power of intention. Every single modern advance that you see and take for granted was created, and creating is what we're doing here in this chapter, by someone contemplating what they intend to manifest. The way to establish a relationship with spirit and access the power of this creating principle is to continuously contemplate yourself as being surrounded by the conditions you wish to produce. Dwell on the idea of a supreme, infinite power producing the results that you desire. This power is the creative power of the universe. It's responsible for everything coming into focus. 
By trusting it to provide the form and the conditions for its manifestation, you establish a relationship to intention that allows you to be connected for as long as you practice this kind of personal intent. Entering into the spirit of intention. Whatever you intend to create in your life involves generating the same life-giving quality that brings everything into existence. The spirit of anything, the quality that allows it to come into the world of form, is true as a general principle. So why not activate it within yourself? The power of intention simply awaits your ability to make the connection. How do you enter into the spirit of intention, which is all about feelings, expressing life? You can nurture it by your continual, ongoing expectation of the infallible spiritual law of increase being a part of your life. We saw it through our imaginary capacity to see higher vibrations, and we heard it in the voice given to it by spiritual masters throughout the ages. It's everywhere. It wants to express life. It's pure love in action. It's confident. And guess what? You are it. But you've forgotten that. You need to simply trust your ability to cheerfully rely upon spirit to express itself through and for you. Your task is to contemplate the energies of life, love, beauty, and kindness. Every action that's in harmony with this originating principle of intention gives expression to your own personal power of intention. Applying the seven faces for connecting to intention. Having been in the business of human development for most of my life, the question I most frequently hear is, how do I go about getting what I want? At this juncture of my life, as I sit here recording this, my response is, if you become what you think about, and what you think about is getting what you want, then you'll stay in a state of wanting. So the answer to how to get what you want is to reframe the question. How do I go about getting what I intend to create or co-create? My answer to that question is in the remainder of this chapter. But my short answer is this. You get what you intend to create by being in harmony with the power of intention, which is responsible for all of creation. Underline that in your mind. I'll say it again. You get what you intend to create by being in harmony with the power of intention, which is responsible for all of creation. So, begin to remove that ego burden from your shoulders and reconnect to intention. When you lay your ego aside and return to that from which you originally emanated, you'll begin to immediately see the power of intention working with, for, and through you in a multitude of ways. Here are those seven faces revisited to help you to begin to make them a part of your life. First, be creative. Being creative means trusting your own purpose and having an attitude of unbending intent in your daily thoughts and activities. Staying creative means giving form to your personal intentions. A way to start giving them form is to literally put them in writing. For instance, in my writing space here on Maui, I've written out my intentions, and here are a few of them that stare at me each day as I write. My intention is for all of my activities to be directed by spirit. My intention is to love and radiate my love to my writing and any who might hear these words. My intention is to trust in what comes through me and to be a vehicle of spirit, judging none of it. My intention is to recognize the spirit as my source and to detach from my ego. My intention is to do all that I can to elevate the collective consciousness to be more closely in rapport with the spirit of the originating supreme power of intention. To express your creativity and put your own intentions into the world of the manifest, I recommend that you practice something called japa. 
a technique first offered by the ancient Vedas. Japa meditation is the repetition of the sound of the names of God while simultaneously focusing on what you intend to manifest. Repeating the sound within the name of God while asking for what you want generates creative energy to manifest your desires. And your desires are the movement of the universal mind within you. Now you may be skeptical about the feasibility of such an undertaking. Well, I ask you to open yourself up to this idea of japa as an expression of your creative link to intention. I won't describe the method in depth here because I've written an entire book about it with an accompanying CD by Hay House called Getting in the Gap, Making Conscious Contact with God Through Meditation, and I urge you to read that and practice it. For now, just know that I consider meditating and practicing japa essential in the quest to realign yourself with the power of intention. That power is creation, and you need to be in your own unique state of creativity to collaborate with the power of intention. Meditation and japa are surefire ways to do so. Secondly, be kind. A fundamental attribute of the supreme originating power is called kindness. All that's manifested is brought here to thrive. It takes a kindly power to want what it creates to thrive and multiply. Were this not the case, then all that's created would be destroyed by the same power that created it. In order to reconnect to intention, you must be on the same kindness wavelength as intention itself. Make an effort to live in cheerful kindness. It's a much higher energy than sadness or malevolence, and it makes the manifestation of your desires possible. It's through giving that we receive. It's through acts of kindness directed toward others that our immune systems are strengthened and even our serotonin levels increased. This idea of extending kindness is particularly relevant in how you deal with people who are helpless, elderly, mentally challenged, poor, disabled, and so on. These people are all part of God's perfection. They too have a divine purpose, and since all of us are connected to each other through spirit, their purpose and intent is also connected to you. Extend thoughts of kindness everywhere. Practice kindness towards earth by picking up a piece of litter that's on your path, or saying a silent prayer of gratitude for the existence of rain, the color of flowers, or even the paper that you hold in your hand that was donated by a tree. The universe responds in kind to what you elect to radiate outward. If you say with kindness in your voice and in your heart, How may I serve you? The universe's response will be, How may I serve you as well? It's called attractor energy. It's this spirit of cooperation with all of life that emerges from the essence of intention. And this spirit of kindness is one that you must learn to match if connecting back to intention is your desire. My daughter Summer has written from her experience about how small acts of kindness go a long way. Here's what she said in an essay she wrote. I was getting off the turnpike one rainy afternoon, and I pulled up to the toll booth while fumbling through my purse. The woman smiled at me and said, The car before you has paid your toll. I told her I was traveling alone and extended my money. She replied, Yes, the man instructed me to tell the next person who came to my booth to have a brighter day. That small act of kindness did give me a brighter day. I felt so moved by someone I would never know, I began to wonder how I could brighten someone else's day. I called my best friend and told her about my paid toll. She said she'd never thought of doing that, but it was a great idea. She goes to the University of Kentucky and decided to pay for the person behind her every day on her way to school as she exits the toll road. I laughed at her sincerity. You think I'm kidding, she said, but like you said, it's only 50 cents. As we hung up, I wondered if the man who paid my toll even fathomed that his thoughtfulness would travel all the way to Kentucky. 
I had an opportunity to extend kindness at the supermarket one day when I had my cart filled to the top with food that my roommate and I would share over the next two weeks. The woman behind me had an antsy toddler and not nearly as much in her cart as I had. I said to her, Why don't you go first? You don't have nearly as much as I do. The woman looked at me as if I just sprouted extra limbs or something. She replied, Thank you so much. I haven't seen many people around here be thoughtful of another person. We've moved here from Virginia and are considering moving back because we're questioning whether this is the right place to raise our three children. Then she told me that she was about ready to give up and move back home, even though it would create a huge financial strain on her family. She said, I'd promised myself if I didn't see a sign by the end of today, I was going to demand that we move back to Virginia. You are my sign. She thanked me, smiling as she left the store. I was flabbergasted, realizing that such a small gesture impacted a whole family. The clerk said as she was checking me out, You know what, girl? You just made my day. I walked out smiling, wondering how many people my act of kindness would affect. The other day I was getting a breakfast sandwich and coffee and thought my co-workers might like some donuts. The four guys I work with at the stables live in little apartments at the front of the barns. None of them have a car, but they share a bike. I explained to them that the donuts were for them. The look of gratitude on each of their faces was rewarding in an immeasurable way. I haven't really worked here all that long, and I think that those twelve small donuts helped to break the ice a little bit. My small act of kindness turned into something huge as the week went on. We started looking out for one another more carefully and working like a team. The third way to connect to intention is to be love. Ponder these words thoughtfully. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in me, and I in him. That is God talking, so to speak, keeping in mind the central theme of this chapter, and in fact, this entire program, that you must learn to be like the energy that allowed you to be here in the first place. Then being in a state of love is absolutely necessary for you to reconnect to intention. For the purposes of this chapter, I'd like you to think about love in the following two ways. First, love is cooperation rather than competition. What I'd like you to be able to experience right here in physical form on planet Earth is the essence of the spiritual plane. If this were possible, it would mean that your very life is a manifestation of love. Were this to be true for you, you'd see all of life living together in harmony and cooperating with each other. You'd sense that the power of intention that originates all life cooperates with all other life forms to ensure growth and survival. You'd note that we all share the same life force and the same invisible intelligence that beats my heart and your heart beats the heart of everyone on this planet. And secondly, love is the force behind the will of God. I'm not suggesting the kind of love that we define as affection or sentiment, nor is this kind of love a feeling that seeks to please and press favors on others. Imagine a kind of love that is the power of intention, the very energy that is the cause behind all of creation. It's the spiritual vibration that carries divine intentions from formless to concrete expression. It creates new thought form, changes matter, vivifies all things, and holds the cosmos together beyond time and space. It's in every one of us. It is what God is. Our fourth way of reconnecting to intention. Be beauty. Emily Dickinson once wrote, Beauty is not caused, it is. As you awaken to your divine nature, you begin to appreciate beauty in everything you see and touch and experience. You were brought into this world from that which perceived you as an expression of beauty. It couldn't have done so if it thought you to be otherwise. For if it has the power to create, it also possesses the power not to do so. 
the choice to do so is predicated on the supposition that you're an expression of loving beauty. This is true for everything and everyone that emanates from the power of intention. Here's a favorite story of mine that illustrates appreciating beauty where you once didn't. It was told by Guru Mai in her beautiful book, Kindle My Heart. Quote, there was a man who did not like his in-laws because he felt they took up more space in the house than they should. He went to a teacher who lived nearby, as he had heard a lot about him, and he said, Please, please do something. I cannot bear my in-laws anymore. I love my wife, but my in-laws, never. They take up so much space in the house, somehow I feel that they're always in my way. Well, the teacher asked him, Do you have some chickens? Yes, I do, he said. Then put all of your chickens inside the house. He did what the teacher said and then went back to him, and the teacher asked, Is the problem solved? He said, No, it's worse. Do you have any sheep? He asked. Yes. Well, bring all the sheep inside. He did so, and he returned to the teacher. He said, Is the problem now solved? He said, No, it's getting worse. He says, Well, then, do you have a dog? He said, Well, yes, I have. I have several. Well, he said, Take all of those dogs back into the house. Finally, the man ran back to the teacher and said, I came to you for help, but you're making my life worse than ever. The teacher said to him, now send all the chickens, the sheep, and the dogs back outside. The man went home and emptied the house of all the animals. There was so much space, he went back to the teacher. Thank you, he said. Thank you. You've solved all my problems. Number five, as a way to connect to intention, be ever expansive. The next time you see a garden full of flowers, observe the flowers that are alive and compare them to the flowers that you believe are dead. What's the difference? The dried-up, dead flowers are no longer growing, while the alive flowers are indeed still growing. The all-emerging universal force that intended you into beingness and commences all of life is always growing and perpetually expanding. As with all seven of these faces of intention, by reason of its universality, it must have a common nature with yours. By being in a state of ever-expanding and growing intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, you're identifying with the universal mind. Sixth, be abundant. Intention is endlessly abundant. There's no scarcity in the universal, invisible world of spirit. As you contemplate connecting to intention, know in your heart that any attitude that you have that reflects a scarcity consciousness will hold you back. A reminder here is in order. You must match intention's attributes with your own in order to capitalize on those powers in your own life. When you shift to an abundance mindset, you repeat to yourself over and over and over again that you're unlimited because you emanated from the inexhaustible supply of intention. As this picture solidifies, you begin to act on this attitude of unbending intent. There's no other possibility. We become what we think about. And as Emerson reminded us, quote, the ancestor to every action is a thought, unquote. As these thoughts of plenitude and excessive sufficiency become your way of thinking, the all-creating force to which you're always connected will begin to work with you in harmony with your thoughts, just as it worked with you in harmony with your thoughts of scarcity. If you think you can't manifest abundance into your life, you'll see intention agreeing with you and assisting you in the fulfillment of meager expectations. I personally seem to have arrived into this world fully connected to the abundance attributes of the spiritual world from which I emanated. As a child growing up in foster homes with poverty consciousness all around me, I was the richest kid in the orphanage, so to speak. I always thought I could have more money jingling in my pockets. I pictured it there, and I consequently acted on that picture. I'd collect soda pop bottles, shovel snow, bag groceries, cut lawns, carry out people's ashes from their coal furnaces, clean up yards, 
paint fences, babysit, deliver newspapers, and on and on and on. And always the universal force of abundance worked with me in providing opportunities. A snowstorm was a giant blessing for me. So too were discarded bottles by the side of the road and little old ladies who needed help carrying their groceries to their automobiles. Today, over a half a century later, I still have that abundance mentality. In a sense, I'm still collecting pop bottles, shoveling snow, and carrying out groceries for little old ladies. My vision hasn't changed, although the playing field is enlarged. It's all about having an inner picture of abundance, thinking in unlimited ways, and being open to the guidance that intention provides when you're in a state of rapport with it. And then being in a state of ecstatic gratitude and awe for how this whole thing works. Every time I see a coin on the street, I stop, I pick it up, put it into my pocket, and I say out loud, Thank you, God, for this symbol of abundance that keeps flowing into my life. Never, never once have I ever said, Why only a penny, God? You know I need a lot more than that. On this day, today... On a writing day, I arise at 4 a.m. with a knowing that my writing will complete what I've already envisioned in the contemplations of my imagination. The writing flows, and letters arrive from intentions manifest abundance, urging me to read a particular book or talk to a unique individual, and I know that it's all working in perfect, abundant unity. The phone rings, and just what I need to hear is resonating in my ear. I get up to get a glass of water, and my eyes fall on a book that's been on my bookshelves for 20 years, but this time I feel compelled to pick it up. I open it, and once again I'm being directed by Spirit's willingness to assist and guide me as long as I stay in harmony with it. It goes on and on and on in my life, and I'm reminded of Rumi's poetic words from 800 years ago, sell your cleverness and purchase bewilderment. And finally, the seventh way of reconnecting to intention. It's called being receptive. The universal mind is ready to respond to anyone who recognizes their true relationship to it. It will reproduce whatever conception of itself that you impress upon it. In other words, it's receptive to all who remain in harmony with it and stay in a relationship of reverence for it. The issue becomes a question of your receptivity to the power of intention. Stay connected and know you'll receive all that this power is capable of offering. Take it on by yourself as separate from the universal mind, an impossibility, but nevertheless a strong belief of the ego, and you remain eternally disconnected. The nature of the universal mind is peaceful. It isn't receptive to force or violence. It works in its own time and rhythm, allowing everything to emanate by and by. It's in no hurry because it's outside of time. It's always in the eternal now. Try getting down on your hands and knees and hurrying along a tiny tomato plant sprout. Universal spirit is at work peacefully, and your attempts to rush it or tug new life into full creative flower will destroy the entire process. Being receptive means taking on a position of allowing your senior partner to handle your life for you. I accept the guidance and assistance of the same force that created me. I let go of my ego and I trust in this wisdom to move at its own peaceful place. I make no demands on it. This is how the all-creating field of intention creates. This is how you must think in order to reconnect to your source. You practice meditation because it allows you to receive the inner knowing of making conscious contact with God. By being peaceful, quiet, and receptive, you pattern yourself in the image of God, and you regain the power of your source. This is what this chapter, and indeed, this entire program is all about. That is, tapping into the essence of originating spirit, 
emulating the attributes of the creative force of intention and manifesting into your life anything that you desire that's consistent with the universal mind, which is creativity, kindness, love, beauty, expansion, abundance, and peaceful receptivity. This concludes the steps for connecting to intention. But before you make this somersault into the inconceivable, I urge you to examine any and all self-imposed obstacles that need to be challenged and eradicated as you work anew at living and breathing this power of intention that was placed in your heart before a heart was even formed. As William Penn once put it, those people who are not governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. Remember, as we continue, that those tyrants are often the self-imposed roadblocks of your lower self at work. Chapter 4 the obstacles to connecting to intention. I love this following passage from William Blake's The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. It's the basis of this chapter about overcoming obstacles to the unlimited power of intention. Here's what he said, quote, Does a firm persuasion that a thing is so make it so? He replied, All poets believe that it does. And in ages of imagination, this firm persuasion removes mountains. But many are not capable of a firm persuasion of anything. Unquote. William Blake is telling us that poets have an inexhaustible imagination and consequently an unlimited ability to make something so. He also reminds us that many aren't capable of such a firm persuasion. In the previous chapter, I gave you suggestions for making positive connections to intention. I'm devoting this entire chapter to three areas that may be unrecognized obstacles to your connection to this power of intention. You're going to be examining your inner speech your level of energy, and your self-importance or ego. These three categories can create almost insurmountable blocks to connecting to intention when they're mismatched. Taken one at a time, you'll have the opportunity to become aware of these blockages and explore ways of overcoming them. There's a game show that has aired on television for several decades now in syndication. It's called The Match Game. The object of this game is to match up your thoughts and potential responses with that of someone on your team, usually a partner or a family member. A question or statement is given to one partner, and several possible responses are offered. The more matches made in competition with two other couples, the more points received. The winner is the one with the most matches. I'd like to play the match game with you. Here's my version. I'm asking you to match up with the universal spirit of intention. As we go through the three categories of obstacles that hinder your connection to intention, I'll describe the areas that don't match and offer some suggestions for creating a match. Remember that your ability to activate the power of intention in your life depends exclusively on your matching up with the creative source of all life. Match up with that source and you win the prize of being like the source and the power of intention. Fail to match up and the power of intention eludes you. Your inner speech. Match or no match? We can go all the way back to the Old Testament to find a reminder about our inner dialogue. For instance, as a man thinketh, so is he. Generally, we apply this idea of becoming what we think about to our positive thoughts. That is, think positively and you'll produce positive results. But thinking also creates stumbling blocks that produce negative results. What follows are four ways of thinking that can prevent you from reaching for and connecting to the universal creative spirit of intention. First, thinking about what's missing in your life. To match up with intention, you first have to catch yourself in the moment that you're thinking about what's missing, and then shift to intention. Not what I find missing in my life, 
but to what I absolutely intend to manifest and attract into my life, with no doubts, no waffling, and no explaining. Here are some suggestions I'm going to offer you to help you to break the habit of focusing your thoughts on what's missing. Play a version of the match game and match up with the all-creating force. Here's a no match. I don't have enough money. Here's a match. I intend to attract unlimited abundance into my life. Here's a no match. My partner is grouchy and boring. Here's a match. I intend to focus my thoughts on what I love about my partner. Here's a no match. I'm not as attractive as I'd like to be. Here's a match. I'm perfect in the eyes of God, a divine manifestation of the process of creation. This isn't a game of empty affirmations. It's a way of matching yourself to the power of intention and recognizing that what you think about is what expands. If you spend your time thinking about what's missing, then that's what expands in your life. Monitor your inner dialogue and match your thoughts to what you want and intend to create. Here's a second way of thinking. Thinking about the circumstances of your life. If you don't like some of the circumstances of your life, by all means, don't think about them. This may sound like a paradox to you. In this match game, you want to match up with the spirit of creation. You must train your imagination, which is the universal mind running through you, to shift from what you don't want to what you do want. All of that mental energy you spend complaining about what is, to anyone who will listen, is a magnet for attracting more of it into your life. You, and only you, can overcome this impediment because you've put it on your path to intention. Simply change your inner speech to what you intend the new circumstances of your life to become. Practice thinking from the end by playing the match game and by realigning yourself with the field of intention. Here's a few examples of a no match versus a match for what is inner dialogue about the circumstances of your life. No match. I hate this place we're living in. It gives me the creeps. Match. I can see our new home in my mind and I intend to be living in it within six months. No match. I dislike the work I'm doing and the fact that I'm not appreciated. Match. I'll act upon my inner intuitive impulses to create the work or job of my dreams. No match. I hate the fact that I'm sick so often and always seem to be getting colds. Match. I am divine health. I intend to act in healthy ways and attract the power to strengthen my immune system in every way I can. See, you must learn to assume responsibility for the circumstances of your life without any accompanying guilt. The circumstances of your life aren't the way they are because of karmic debt or because you're being punished. The circumstances of your life, including your health, are yours. Somehow they showed up in your life, so just assume that you participated in all of it. Your inner speech is uniquely your own creation and it's responsible for attracting more of the circumstances that you don't want. Link up with intention. Use your inner speech to stay focused on what you intend to create, and you'll find yourself regaining the power of your source. Three, another way of thinking is thinking about what always has been, which is an obstacle. When your inner speech focuses on the way things have always been, you act upon your thoughts of what's always been, and the universal all-creating force continues to deliver what always has been. Why? Because your imagination is a part of that which imagined you into existence. It's the force of creation, and you're using it to work against you with your inner speech. Imagine the absolute spirit thinking like this. I can't create life anymore because things haven't worked for me in the past. There have been so many mistakes in the past, and I can't stop thinking about them. How much creating do you think would occur if spirit imagined in this way? 
How can you possibly connect to the power of intention if your thoughts, which are responsible for your intending, focus on all that's gone before you, which you abhor? The answer is obvious, and so is the solution. Make a shift and catch yourself when you're focusing on what always has been and move your inner speech to what you intend to manifest. You'll get points in this match game by being on the same team as the absolute spirit. Here's a no match. I've always been poor. I was raised on shortages and scarcity. Here's a match. I intend to attract wealth and prosperity in unlimited abundance. Here's a no match. We've always fought in this relationship. Here's a match. I'll work at being peaceful and not allowing anyone to bring me down. Here's a no match. My children have never shown me any respect. Here's a match. I intend to teach my children to respect all of life, and I'll treat them in the same way. The match items reflect a rapport with the originating spirit. The no-match statements represent interference that you've constructed to keep you from matching up with intention. Any thought that takes you backward is an impediment to manifesting desires. The highest functioning people understand that if you don't have a story, you don't have to live up to it. So get rid of any parts of your story that keep you focused on what always has been. And finally, a fourth way of thinking that's an obstacle to connecting to intention is this, thinking about what they want for you. There's probably a long list of people, most of them relatives, who have strong ideas about what you should be doing, how you should be thinking and worshiping, where you should be living, how you should be scheduling your life, and how much of your time you should be spending with them, especially on special occasions and holidays. Our definition of friendship, thankfully, excludes the manipulation and guilt that we so often put up with in our families. Practice catching yourself when you have a thought of what others want for you and ask yourself, does this expectation match up with my own? If not, simply laugh at the absurdity of being upset or frustrated over the expectations of others about how you should be running your life. This is a way to match up and become impervious to the criticisms of others and simultaneously put a stop to the insidious practice of continuing to attract into your life something you don't want. Here's a few match-no-match -match opportunities to observe here. A no-match. I'm so annoyed with my family, they just don't understand me, and they never have. Match. I love my family. They don't see things my way, but I don't expect them to. I'm totally focused on my own intentions, and I send them all love. Here's a no-match. I make myself sick trying to please everyone. Here's a match. I'm on purpose and doing what I signed up to do in this lifetime. Here's a no match. I feel so unappreciated by those I serve that it sometimes makes me cry. Here's a match. I do what I do because it's my purpose and my destiny is to do so. A second obstacle is called your level of energy. Match or no match. Everything in this universe is a movement of energy. Higher, faster energy dissolves and converts lower and slower energy. With this in mind, I'd like you to consider yourself and all of your thoughts in the context of being an energy system. That's right. You are an energy system, not just a system of bones and fluids and cells, but actually a multitude of energy systems encapsulating an inner energy system of thoughts, feelings, and emotions. This energy system that you are can be measured and calibrated. Every thought you have can be energetically calibrated along with its impact on your body and your environment. The higher your energy, the more capable you are of nullifying and converting lower energies, which weaken you and impacting in a positive way everyone in your immediate and even distant surroundings. The objective in this section is to become aware of your own energy level and the actual frequencies of thought that you regularly employ in daily life. 
you can become proficient at raising your energy level and permanently obliterate energetic expressions that weaken or inhibit your connection to intention. Ultimately, your goal is to have a perfect match with the highest frequency of all. Here's a simple explanation of the five levels of energy that you work with, moving from the lowest and slowest frequencies to the highest and the fastest. The slowest energy, number one, the material world. Solid form is energy slowed down so that it's approximately commensurate with your sense perception of the world of boundaries. Everything that you see and touch is energy slowed down so that it appears to be a coalesced mass. Your eyes and your fingers agree, and here you have the physical world. The second level of energy is called the sound world, a little faster energy. You seldom perceive sound waves with your eyes, but they can actually be felt. These invisible waves are also high, low, and fast and slow. This sound level of energy is where you connect to the highest frequencies of spirit through the practice of Japa meditation, as I've written about extensively in Getting in the Gap, which includes a CD to teach you this meditation. Third level of energy is called the light world. Light moves faster than the material world and faster than sound, yet there are no actual particles to form a substance called light. What you see as red is what your eye perceives a certain pulsating frequency to be, and what you perceive as violet is an even faster and higher frequency. When light is brought to darkness, darkness becomes light. The implications for this are startling. Low energy, when faced with high energy experiences, an automatic conversion. A fourth level of energy is called the world of thought. Your thoughts, your actual thoughts, are an extremely high frequency of pulsation that move beyond the speed of sound and even light. The frequency of thoughts can be measured and the impact that they have on your body and your environment can be actually calculated. Once again, the same rules apply. Higher frequencies nullify lower. Faster energies convert slower. A colleague I admire enormously, David Hawkins, a medical doctor, has written a work which I've referenced over and over again called Power Versus Force. In this remarkable book, Dr. Hawkins elaborates on the lower frequencies of thought and their accompanying emotions and how they can be impacted and converted by exposure to higher and faster frequencies. I really urge you to read this book, and I'll present some of those findings in later sections on this program on how to raise your energy levels. Every thought you have can be calculated to determine if it's strengthening or weakening your ability to reconnect to the highest and fastest energy in the universe the energy of intention. And finally, the highest and fastest energy in the universe. It's called the energy of spirit. This is the ultimate in energy. These frequencies are so supersonically rapid that the presence of disorder, disharmony, and even disease is impossible. These measurable energies consist of the seven faces of intention talked about earlier in this program. They are the energies of creation, when you reproduce them in yourself, you reproduce the same creative quality of life that called you into existence. They are the qualities of creativeness, of kindness, of love, of beauty, of expansion, of peaceful abundance and receptivity to all. These are the highest energies of the universal spirit itself. You came into existence from this energy, and you can match up with it energetically as you remove all of the low-energy pulsations from your thoughts and feelings. Raising your energy level. There's a vibratory action to your thoughts, your feelings, and your body. I'm asking you to increase those frequencies so they're high enough to allow you to connect to the power of intention. This may sound like an oversimplification, but I hope you'll try raising your energy level as a way to remove the obstacles that prevent you from experiencing the perfection that you're a part of. You cannot remedy anything by condemning it. Again, 
you cannot remedy anything by condemning it. Underline that in your consciousness. You only add to the destructive energy that's already permeating the atmosphere of your life. When you react to the lower energies you encounter with your own low energies, you're actually setting up a situation that attracts more of the lower energy. For example, if someone behaves in a hateful manner toward you and you respond by hating them for hating you, you've participated in a lower energy field and impacting all who enter that field. If you're angry at those around you for being angry people, you're attempting to remedy the situation through condemnation. If you're experiencing scarcity or anguish or depression or an absence of love or any inability to attract what you desire, seriously look at how you've been attracting those circumstances into your life. Low energy is an attractor pattern. It shows up because you've sent for it, even if on a subconscious level. It's still yours, and you own it. However, if you practice deliberately raising your energy level by being cognizant of your immediate environment, you'll move more rapidly toward intention and remove all of those self-imposed roadblocks. The obstacles are in the low energy spectrum. What follows is a mini program for raising your energy vibrations. Here's a short list of suggestions for moving your energy field to a higher and a faster vibration. This will help you to accomplish the twofold objective of removing the barriers and simultaneously allowing the power of intention to work with and through you. Become conscious of your thoughts. Every thought you have impacts you. By shifting in the middle of a weakening thought to one that strengthens, you raise your energy vibration and strengthen yourself and the immediate energy field. Make meditation a regular practice in your life. Even if it's only for a few moments each day while sitting at a stoplight, this practice is vital. Take some time to be silent and repeat the sound of God as an inner mantra. Meditation allows you to make conscious contact with your source and regain the power of intention by assisting you in cultivating a receptivity that matches up with the force of creation. Also, become conscious of the food you eat. There are foods that calibrate low, and there are high-energy foods as well. Foods with toxic chemicals sprayed on them will make you weak, even if you have no idea that the toxins are present. Artificial foods such as sweeteners are low-energy products. In general, foods high in alkalinity such as fruits, vegetables, nuts, soy, non-yeast breads, and virgin olive oil calibrate at the high end and will strengthen you on muscle testing, while highly acidic foods such as flour-based cereals, meats, dairy, and sugars calibrate at the lower energies, which will weaken you. Also, retreat from low-energy substances. Alcohol and virtually all artificial drugs, legal and otherwise, lower your body's energy level as well as weaken you. Furthermore, they put you in a position to continue to attract more disempowering energy into your life. Become conscious of the energy level of the music you listen to. Harsh, pounding musical vibrations with repetitive, loud sounds lower your energy level and weaken you and your ability to make conscious contact with intention. Similarly, the lyrics of hate, pain, anguish, fear, and violence are low energy sending weakening messages to your subconscious and infiltrating your life with similar attractor energies. If you want to attract peace and love, then listen to the higher musical vibrations and lyrics that reflect these desires. Furthermore, become aware of the energy levels of your own home environment. Prayers, paintings, crystals, statues, spiritual passages, books, magazines, the colors on your walls, and even the arrangement of your furniture all create energy into which you've catapulted for at least half of your waking life. The ancient Chinese art of Feng Shui 
has been with us for thousands of years and is a gift from our ancestors which describes ways to increase the energy field of our home and workplace. Become aware of how being in high energy surroundings impacts us in ways that strengthen our lives and removes barriers to our connection to intention. Also, begin to reduce your exposure to the very low energy of commercial and cable television. The majority of television shows provide a steady stream of low energy most of the time. This is one of the reasons I've elected to devote a significant portion of my own time and efforts in support of non-commercial public television and to help replace messages of negativity, hopelessness, violence, profanity, and disrespect with the higher principles that match up with the principle of intention. You can also enhance your energy field with photographs, believe it or not. You may find it difficult to believe that photography is a form of energy reproduction and that every photograph contains energy. See for yourself by strategically placing photographs taken in moments of happiness, love, and receptivity to spiritual help around your living quarters, in your workplace, in your automobile, and even on your clothing or in your pocket or in your wallet. Arrange photographs of nature, animals, and expressions of joy and love in your environment and let their energy radiate into your heart and provide you with their higher frequencies. You can also become conscious of the energy levels of your acquaintances and your friends and your extended family. You can raise your own energy levels by being in the energy field of others who resonate closely to spiritual consciousness. Choose to be in close proximity to people who are empowering, who appeal to your sense of connection to intention, who see the greatness in you, who feel connected to God, and who live a life that gives evidence that spirit has found celebration through you. You can also begin to monitor your activities and where they take place. Avoid low-energy fields where there's excessive alcohol, drug consumption, or violent behavior, and gatherings where religious or ethnic exclusion and vitriolic prejudice or judgments are the focus. Immerse yourself in nature, appreciating its beauty, spending time camping, hiking, swimming, taking nature walks, and reveling in the natural world. Attend lectures on spirituality, take a yoga class, give or receive a massage, visit monasteries or meditation centers, and commit to helping others in need with visits to the elderly in geriatric centers or sick children in hospitals. Choose to be in places where the energy fields reflect the seven faces of intention. Extend acts of kindness, asking for nothing in return. Anonymously extend financial aid to those less fortunate and do it from the kindness of your heart, expecting not even a thank you. Pick up some litter and place it in a proper receptacle and tell no one about your actions. In fact, spend several hours doing nothing but cleaning and clearing out messes that you didn't create. Any act of kindness extended toward yourself, others, or your environment matches you up with the kindness inherent in the universal power of intention. It's an energizer for you and causes this kind of energy to flow back into your life. Be specific when you affirm your intentions to raise your energy level and create your desires. Written affirmations have an energy of their own and will guide you in raising your energy level. I practice this myself. There's a woman named Lynn Hall who lives up in Toronto. She sent me a beautiful plaque that I look at every day. In her letter, she says, Here's a gift for you, written solely for you in an effort to convey heartfelt gratitude for the blessings of your presence in my life. That said, I'm sure that the sentiment is a universal one speaking for every other soul on the planet who has experienced the same good fortune. May the light and love that you emit forever reflect back to you in joyful abundance, Dr. Dyer. And the beautiful etched-in soul plaque reads like this. Spirit has found great voice in you in vibrant truths and joyful splendor. Spirit has found revelation through you in resonant and reflective ways. 
Spirit has found celebration through you in infinite expanses and endless reach. To all those awakened to the grace of your gifts, Spirit has found both wings and light. I read these words daily to remind me of my connection to Spirit and to allow the words to flow from my heart to yours, fulfilling my intentions and hopefully helping you to do the same. As frequently as possible, hold thoughts of forgiveness in your mind. In muscle testing, when you hold a thought of revenge, you'll go weak, while a thought of forgiveness keeps you strong. Revenge, anger, and hatred are exceedingly low energies that keep you from matching up with the attributes of the universal force. A simple thought of forgiveness toward anyone who may have angered you in the past without any action taken on your part will raise you to the level of spirit and aid you in your individual intentions. What follows is the final obstacle to making your connections to intention. Your self-importance or your ego. In The Fire From Within, a book written by Carlos Castaneda, he hears these words from his sorcerer teacher, and they go like this, quote, Self-importance is man's greatest enemy. What weakens him is feeling offended by the deeds and misdeeds of his fellow man. Self-importance requires that one spend most of one's life offended by something or someone, unquote. This is a major impediment to connecting to intention. You can all too easily create a no-match here. Basically, your feelings of self-importance are what make you feel special. So let's deal with this concept of being special. It's essential that you have a strong self-concept and that you feel unique. The problem is when you misidentify who you truly are by identifying yourself as your body or your achievements or your possessions. Then you identify people who have accomplished less as inferior, and your self-important superiority causes you to be constantly offended in one way or another. This misidentification is the source of most of your problems, as well as most of the problems of humankind. Feeling special leads us to our self-importance. With the self as a focal point, you sustain the illusion that you are your body, which is a completely separate entity from all others. This sense of separateness leads you to compete rather than cooperate with everyone else. Ultimately, it's a no-match with spirit and becomes a huge obstacle to your connection to the power of intention. In order to relinquish your self-importance, you'll have to become aware of how entrenched it is in your own life. Ego is simply an idea of who you are that you carry around with you. As such, it can't be surgically removed by having an egoectomy. This idea of who you think you are will persistently erode any possibility you have of connecting to intention. What follows are seven steps for overcoming the hold that ego has on you. Here are seven suggestions to help you transcend ingrained ideas of self-importance. All of these are designed to help prevent you from falsely identifying yourself with this self-important ego of yours. One, stop being offended. The behavior of others isn't a reason to become immobilized. That which offends you only weakens you. If you're looking for occasions to be offended, you'll find them at every turn. This is your ego at work convincing you that the world shouldn't be the way that it is. Being offended creates the same destructive energy that offended you in the first place and leads to attack, counterattack, and ultimately war. Two, let go of your need to win. 
You are not your winnings or your victories. You may enjoy competing and have fun in a world where winning is everything, but you don't have to be there in your thoughts. There are no losers in a world where we all share the same energy source. All you can say on a given day is that you performed at a certain level in comparison to the levels of others on that particular day. But today is another day with other competitors and new circumstances to consider. Be the observer, noticing and enjoying it all without needing to win a trophy. Be at peace and match up with the energy of intention. And ironically, although you'll hardly notice it, more of those victories will show up in your life as you pursue them less. Three, let go of your need to be right. When you let go of the need to be right, you're able to strengthen your connection to the power of intention. But keep in mind that ego is a determined combatant. I've seen people willing to die rather than let go of being right. I've seen people end otherwise beautiful relationships by sticking to their need to be right. I urge you to let go of this ego-driven need to be right by stopping yourself in the midst of an argument and asking yourself, do I want to be right or happy? When you choose the happy, loving, spiritual mode, your connection to intention is strengthened. These moments ultimately expand your new connection to the power of intention. The universal source will begin to collaborate with you in creating the life you were intended to live. 4. Let go of your need to be superior. Let go of your need to feel superior by seeing the unfolding of God in everyone. Don't assess others on the basis of their appearance, achievements, possessions, and other indices of ego. When you project feelings of superiority, that's what you get back, leading to resentments and ultimately hostile feelings. These feelings become the vehicle taking you further away from intention. 5. Let go of your need to have more. The universal source is content with itself, constantly expanding and creating new life, never trying to hold on to its creation for its own selfish means. It creates and lets go. As you let go of ego's need to have more, you unify with that source. You create, attract to yourself, and let it go, never demanding that more come your way. As an appreciator of all that shows up, you learn the powerful lesson St. Francis of Assisi taught us. It is in giving that we receive. By allowing abundance to flow to and through you, you match up with your source and guarantee that this energy will continue to flow. 6. Let go of identifying yourself on the basis of your achievements. This may be a difficult concept if you think you are your achievements. Nevertheless, stay tuned to this idea. The power of intention which brought you into existence and which you're a materialized part of. The less you need to take credit for your achievements, and the more connected you stay to the seven faces of intention, the more you're free to achieve and the more will show up for you. It's when you attach yourself to those achievements and believe that you alone are doing all of those things that you leave the peace and the gratitude of your source. And seven, let go of your reputation. Your reputation is not located in you. It resides in the minds of others. Therefore, you have no control over it at all. If you speak to 30 people, you'll have 30 reputations. Connecting to intention means listening to your heart and conducting yourself based on what your inner voice tells you is your purpose here. If you're overly concerned with how you're going to be perceived by everyone, then you've disconnected yourself from intention and allowed the opinions of others to guide you. This is your ego at work. It's an illusion that stands between you and the power of intention. We've just completed a thorough examination of the three major obstacles to connecting to the power of intention, along with some suggestions for eliminating them. 
In the next chapter, I'll explain how you impact those around you when you raise your energy level to the highest spiritual frequencies and live your days connected to intention. When you're connected to the power of intention, everywhere you go and everyone you meet is affected by you and the energy you radiate. As you become the power of intention, you'll see your dreams being fulfilled almost magically, and you'll see yourself creating huge ripples in the energy fields of others by your presence and nothing more. Chapter 5 Your Impact on Others When You're Connected to Intention As you find yourself more in harmony with the faces of attention, you're going to discover that you're impacting others in new ways. The nature of this impact is profoundly important in your quest to utilize this power of intention. You'll begin seeing in others what you're feeling within yourself. This new way of seeing will enable people in your presence to feel comforted and peaceful and to indirectly be loving accomplices to your connection to intention. Let's look at holy relationships. As you review the attributes of universal intention and simultaneously vow to be those attributes, you begin to see the significance of what you desire for all others. Think of your relationships in terms of holy or unholy. Holy relationships facilitate the power of intention at a high energy level for everyone involved. Unholy relationships keep the energy at the lower, slower levels for all concerned. You'll know your own potential for greatness when you start seeing the perfection in all relationships. When you recognize others' holiness, you'll treat them as divine expressions of the power of intention, wanting nothing from them. The irony is that they become co-creators manifesting all your desires. Want nothing from them, demand nothing from them, have no expectations for them, and they'll return the kindness. Demand from them, insist that they please you, judge them as inferior, or see them as servants, and you'll receive the same. It behooves you to be acutely aware of what you truly want for others and to know whether you're in a holy or an unholy relationship with every person you're involved with. One truth that I've recognized during the years of my own growth is that it's impossible to know my perfection if I'm unable to see and honor that same perfection in others. The ability to see yourself as a temporary expression of intention and to see yourself in all of humanity is a characteristic of the holy relationship. It's the ability to celebrate and honor in all others the place where we're all one. As you change your thought patterns to raise your energy vibrations and reduce the demands of your ego, you'll begin developing a reverent or holy relationship with others. Then everyone is perceived as complete. When you can celebrate differences in others as interesting or enjoyable, you're loosening your identity with ego. The holy relationship is a way of matching up with the universal source of creation and being peacefully joyful. Any relationship or even an encounter from the holy perspective is a coming together with a beloved self-aspect and discovering a stimulating connection with the power of intention. I urge you to establish a holy relationship with your source, the world community, your neighbors, acquaintances, family, the animal kingdom, our planet, and yourself as well. And you'll enjoy the power of intention through holy relationships. It's all about relationship. Let's look at how your energies impact others. When you feel connected and in harmony with intention, you sense a major difference in how other people react to you. Be aware of these reactions because they'll bear directly on your abilities to fulfill your individual intentions. The more closely you automatically resonate to the frequencies of the universal all-creating source, the more that others will be impacted and their lower energies nullified. They'll gravitate toward you, bringing peace and joy and love and beauty and abundance into your life. 
What follows is my opinion on how you'll impact others when you're resonating with intention and how different your impact is when you're dominated by your ego's separatist attitude. Here are some of the most significant ways in which you will find yourself impacting others. Your presence instills calmness. When you coincide with intention, your impact on others has a calming influence. People tend to feel more at peace, less threatened, and more at ease. The power of intention is the power of love and receptivity. It asks nothing of anyone. It judges no one, and it encourages others to be free to be themselves. As people feel calmer in your presence, they're inclined to feel safe by virtue of the energy frequencies that you radiate. Their feelings are encouraged by your energy of love and receptivity, causing them to want to reach out and be with you. As Walt Whitman put it, we convince by our presence. You'll find that your presence leaves others feeling energized when you're connected to intention. When you bring the frequencies of intention into the presence of others, they'll feel energized just by being in your immediate circle. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to act in any prescribed fashion. Your energy of intention alone will make others in your field feel as if they've mysteriously been empowered in some way. As you begin consciously expressing the seven faces of intention, you'll discover that others begin to comment on the impact you're making on them. They'll want to assist you in fulfilling your own dreams. They'll be energized and volunteer to help you. They'll even begin to offer to finance your dreams with their energized new ideas. Your presence also allows others to feel better about themselves. Have you ever noticed when you're in the presence of certain people that you feel better about yourself? Their compassionate energy has the noticeably pleasant impact of simply making you feel really good about yourself. You'll impact others with this energy of compassion as you develop your connection to intention. On the contrary, being in the company of someone who's disdainful or indifferent impacts you quite differently. If this is the low energy you transmit to others, they're quite likely to depart the encounter feeling less than wonderful about themselves. Moreover, it leaves others feeling as if they're insignificant or unimportant, and obviously feeling worse about themselves when it's a repeated pattern in a significant relationship. Your presence allows others to feel unified. The effect of being in the presence of people expressing high frequencies is to feel unified and connected to all of nature, all of humankind, and to intention. As you raise your frequencies, your impact on others invites them to be on the same team. You are unified and want to assist each other in the fulfillment of a common objective. Your presence also instills a sense of purpose in others. When you're in the higher spiritual energies, you bring something to others that's almost inexplicable. Your presence and behavior from a space of love and acceptance, not judgment and kindness, becomes a catalyst for others feeling on purpose in their lives. By staying at the higher energies of optimism, forgiveness, understanding, reverence for spirit, creativity, serenity, and bliss, you radiate this kind of energy and convert lower energies to your higher vibrations. These people whom you so non-deliberately impact begin to feel your quiet reverence and serenity. Your own purpose, which revolves around serving others and therefore serving God, becomes fulfilled. And as a bonus, you've created allies who will want to help you with your intentions. Your presence allows others to trust in authentic personal connections. By bringing the traits of intention to others, you allow trust to be present. You'll notice both an inclination and a willingness on the part of others to open up and confide in you. This is related to the quality of trust. In the atmosphere of higher energy, people trust and want to share their personal stories with you. By being so connected to intention, you are more godlike. 
And who would you trust more than God to share your secrets with? The opposite results are apparent when you emit the lower energy frequencies. Why? Because your low energies help to create a counterforce. Conflict erupts. Winners and losers are necessary. And enemies automatically are created. All because of your unwillingness to stay connected to the faces of intention. Your presence inspires others to greatness. When you're connected to spirit and quietly reflect this consciousness, you become a source of inspiration to others. In a sense, this is one of the most powerful effects that connecting to intention transmits to others. The word inspiration means in spirit. The fact that you're primarily in spirit means that you inspire rather than inform with your presence. You won't inspire others by loudly insisting or demanding that others listen to your point of view. Your presence actually aligns others with beauty. When you're connected to intention, you see beauty everywhere and in everything because you're radiating the quality of beauty. Your perceptual world changes dramatically. At the higher energy of intent, you see beauty in everyone, young or old, rich or poor, dark or light, with no distinctions. Everything is perceived from a perspective of appreciation rather than judgment. As you bring this feeling of beauty, appreciation to the presence of others, people are inclined to see themselves as you see them. They feel attractive and better about themselves as they circulate that higher energy of beauty. When people feel beautiful, they act in beautiful ways. And finally, your presence instills health rather than sickness. You know that your physical self is inspired by a divine force that beats its heart, digests its food, grows its fingernails, and that this same force is receptive to endlessly abundant health. When you bring to the presence of others a healthy appreciation for the miracle that your body represents, you diffuse their efforts to dwell on disease, ill health, and deterioration. In fact, the higher your energy field resonates, the more you're able to impact others with your own healing energy. Become aware of your own amazing capacity to affect the healing and health of those around you simply by the silent presence of your high energy connection to intention. This is a literal energy that emanates from you. In the hopes that you will recognize the importance of raising your energy level, I'm going to conclude this chapter with a look at how our entire civilization is impacted when energy levels are synchronized with the source of our creation. This will require of you an open mind and a bit of stretching, perhaps, on your part. However, it's something that I know to be true, and I'd be remiss if I left it out. It may appear peculiar or maybe even a little outlandish to some who fail to see the ways in which all of us on this planet are connected and therefore impact each other from distances not discernible by our senses. Your Impact on the Consciousness of All of Humanity Many years ago, I was with one of my daughters as she completed a lengthy program in the wilderness to help her deal more effectively with some of her teenage dilemmas. The last thing the counselor at the wilderness camp said to her was, Remember at all times that what you think and what you do affects other people. This is true even beyond the impact we have on our friends, family, neighbors, and co-workers. I believe that we impact all of humanity. Thus, as you listen to this section, keep in mind that what you think and do affects all other people. In the book I mentioned earlier, Power vs. Force, by Dr. David Hawkins, he writes, quote, In this interconnected universe, every improvement we make in our private world improves the world at large for everyone. We all float on the collective level of consciousness of mankind so that any increment we add comes back to us. We all add to our common buoyancy by our efforts to benefit life. It is a scientific fact that what is good for you is good for me." Unquote. 
Dr. Hawkins has backed up his remarks and conclusions with 29 years of hard research, which I invite you to examine if you're so inclined. I'll briefly summarize some of these conclusions and how they relate to the impact you have on others when you're connected to intention. In essence, every single person, as well as large groups of people, can be calibrated for their energy levels. Generally speaking, low-energy people cannot distinguish truth from a falsehood. They can be told how to think, who to hate, who to kill, and they can be herded into a group-think mentality based on such trivial details as what side of the river they were born on, what their parents and their grandparents believed, the shape of their eyes, and hundreds of other factors having to do with appearance and total identification with their material world. Hawkins tells us that approximately 87% of humanity calibrates at a collective energy level that weakens them. The higher up the ladder of frequency vibration, the fewer people there are in those high levels. The highest levels are represented by the truly great persons who originated spiritual patterns that multitudes have followed throughout the ages. They're associated with divinity, and they set in motion attractor energy fields that influence all of humankind. Just below the energy level of pure enlightenment are the energy levels associated with the experience designated as transcendence or self-realization or even God consciousness. Here's where those who are called saintly reside. Just below this level is the place of pure joy, and the hallmark of this state is compassion. Those who attain this level have more of a desire to use their consciousness for the benefit of life rather than for particular individuals. Below these supremely high levels, which few ever attain in a permanent way, are the levels of unconditional love, kindness, acceptance of everyone, beauty appreciation, and on a more limited but nonetheless profound level, all of the seven faces of intention described in the opening chapters of this program. Below the levels of energy that strengthen us are the low energy levels of anger and fear and grief, apathy, guilt, hatred, judgment, and shame, all of which weaken and impact us in such a way as to inhibit our connection to the universal energy level of intention. What I'd like you to do here is to take a leap of faith with me while I present a few of the conclusions that Dr. Hawkins came to in his second book called The Eye of the Eye. Through his precise kinesthesiological testing for truth versus falsehood, he's calibrated the approximate number of people whose energy is at or below the level that weakens. I'd like you to consider his findings and conclusions relative to your impact on civilization. Dr. Hawkins suggests that it's crucial for each of us to be aware of the significance of raising our frequency of vibration to the level where we begin to match up with the energy of the universal source, or in other words, make our connection to the power of intention. One of the most fascinating aspects of this line of research is the idea of counterbalancing. High-energy people counterbalance the negative effects of low-energy people, but it doesn't happen on a one-to-one -one basis because of that 87% of humanity that's in the lower weakening frequencies. One person connected to intention, as I've described it here in this book, can have an enormous impact on many people in the lower energy patterns. The higher up the scale you move toward actually being the light of enlightenment and knowing God consciousness, the more negatively vibrating energies you can counterbalance. Here are some fascinating figures from Dr. Hawkins' research for you to contemplate as you review the impact you can have personally on humanity simply by being on the higher rungs of the ladder to intention. One individual, he says, who lives and vibrates to the energy of optimism and a willingness to be non-judgmental of others will counterbalance the negativity of 90,000 individuals who calibrate at the lower weakening levels. Also, 
One individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of pure love and reverence for all of life will counterbalance the negativity of 750,000 individuals who calibrate at the lower weakening levels. One individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of illumination, bliss, and infinite peace will counterbalance the negativity of 10 million people who calibrate at the lower weakening levels. And he suggests that there are approximately 22 such sages alive today. And finally, one individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of grace, pure spirit, beyond the body, in a world of non-duality or complete oneness, will counterbalance the negativity of 70 million people who calibrate at the lower weakening levels. There are approximately 10 such sages alive today. And finally, here are two compelling statistics offered by Dr. Hawkins in his 29-year study on the hidden determinants of human behavior. One, and listen to this carefully, one single avatar living at the highest level of consciousness in this period of history to whom the title Lord is appropriate, such as Lord Krishna, Lord Buddha, and Lord Jesus Christ, would counterbalance the collective negativity of all of mankind in today's world. And secondly, the negativity of the entire human population would self-destruct were it not for the counteracting effects of these higher energy fields. This is very important information for you to be aware of, that just raising your energy level can impact those around you in a profound way in this world, and we need more and more people to connect to intention. The implications of these figures are immense for discovering ways of improving human consciousness and raising ourselves to the place where we match up with the same energy of intention from which we were all intended. By raising your own frequency of vibration just slightly to a place where you regularly practice kindness, love, and receptivity, and where you see beauty and the endless potential of good in others as well as yourself, you counterbalance 90,000 people somewhere on this planet who are living in the low energy fields of shame, anger, hatred, guilt, despair, depression, and so on. With these words, Mahatma Gandhi sums up this chapter on how we can impact the world by staying connected to that which intended us here in the first place. Quote, We must be the change we wish to see in the world. By being it, we connect to the eternal part of us that originates in infinity. This whole idea of infinity and coming to grips with how it affects our ability to know and employ the power of intention is vastly mysterious. It's the subject for the final chapter in part one of this program. We'll explore infinity from a body and a mind that begins and ends in time, yet somehow knows that the I that is in here has always been and always will be. Chapter 6, Intention and Infinity. Life is eternal. We all live on a stage where many infinities gather. Just take a look outside tonight and contemplate the infinity of space. There are stars so distant from you that they're measured in the distance that light travels in an earthly year. Beyond those stars that you can see are endless galaxies that stretch out into something we call eternity. Indeed, the space that you occupy is infinite. Its vastness is too huge for us to see. We are in an infinite, never-ending, never-beginning universe. Now pay close attention to this next sentence. If life is infinite, then this is not life. Really let these words sink in. If life is infinite, 
then this is not life. We can see this in everything that we scrupulously observe. Therefore, we must conclude that life, in terms of our body and all of its achievements and possessions, which without exception begin and end in dust, isn't life itself. Grasping life's true essence could radically change your life for the better. This is an enormous inner shift that eliminates fear of death. How can you fear something that doesn't exist and connects you permanently to the infinite source of creation that intends everything from the world of infinite spirit into a finite world? Learn to be comfortable with the concept of infinity and see yourself as an infinite being. Your fear of the infinite. We are all in bodies that are going to die, and we know this. Yet we can't imagine it for ourselves, so we behave as if it weren't so. It's almost as if we're saying to ourselves, everybody dies but me. This is attributable to what Freud observed. Our death is unimaginable, so we simply deny it and live our lives as if it weren't going to die because of the terror that our own death instills. As I sat down to write the chapter on infinity, I said to a friend that my goal was to leave the reader and you, the listener, with a complete absence of the fear of death. Let me know if it touches you in that way, even on a minor scale.